Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me as always is my Kingsman to my statesman, my buddy from across the pond, it's Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. How is it going, Matt? It is going very well. It's another Tuesday. It's another BAMP. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this week's one, more because I want to hear what you think, but we'll get to that in a minute. I'm doing all right. It's freezing over here in the United Kingdom. I've got a very hot cup of tea because it is that I've had a fire on all weekend. Um, Sounds posher than it is. But other than that, dude, not bad. Good weekend. Chill out weekend. Ready to start this week with a bang. How are you? Um, I'm doing all right. Well, you know, there's some crazy life stuff going on and we got, uh, that whole teaching thing I do is, uh, there's all sorts of drama happening in our state with new regulations for next semester. Um, and like deadlines and such looming over uh, our administration. So it's, it's a little bit stressful as we like wind down for Christmas vacation. We've got like a week left, um, before we're on break. Uh, so, you know, I'm looking forward to that break at this point. And then, uh, in a little bit of automotive trouble my i have a flat tire nothing huge but you know it's always like a burden to have to drop the truck off and then luckily my uh my mechanic is literally in front of my housing community so it's it's walkable and i just got a little little micro workout in on, on my way uh to record with you so you know it's been a, it's been a weird day but fine everything's fine i'm not quite in a room of fire yet but i it's a little warmer than i expected you know what i'm saying so <laughs> The meme isn't coming true just yet. I had I had my automotive troubles on last Friday, which were thankfully um, eradicated and sorted on the same day. So touch wood, the transatlantic movie bros both get their vehicles sorted out very quickly and cheaply. That's right. It, it, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, it, 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 it always pans out. I always get, I, I, my, I trust this mechanic. I've been going to this mechanic for a while now, but I always still like, I know they know I know nothing about cars so i'm always at their mercy and i have to trust them when they tell me i need something and i'm just always like you know i can google it but i still don't know if that's right you know i have no idea if i need to replace that thing or not really come on but so fingers crossed that they don't find some horrible thing like oh there's a gremlin living in your truck it's like oh uh all right how much does that cost you know but but that's not why we're here we're not here to talk about gremlins not this year uh maybe if this were back in the 80s because it's christmas time gremlins is a christmas movie um But we're here to talk about a new release, and this month is actually shaping up to be a pretty big one um, as far as releases go. It's weird like that the streaming services waited to drop some of these bigger pictures until now, but uh, this week we're here to talk about Mank, which uh, is the new David Fincher film that just dropped on Netflix. Um, it is uh, written by Jack Fincher, who I assume is David's brother, um, which is interesting because he hasn't written all of his scripts. It's his father who I think oh. passed away in 2003. And this, this, this script's been on the back burner for a long time. David's been wow. waiting a long time for this. I did not know any of that history. That's really interesting, actually. Um, wow. Okay. That's, that's really there you cool. Go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, the film stars Gary Oldman as the titular character, Amanda Seyfried, Lily Collins, Tom Pelfrey, Arliss Howard, Tom Burke, uh, Charles Danson, and some other people who pop in. There's a lot of uh, small parts in this movie, um, but you know, expertly performed as uh, the premise 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz 
as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane. Um, has currently an 88 on Rotten Tomatoes, a 79 Metascore, and a 7.4 IMDb user score. And as I said, this was a Netflix original. Um, it's all over uh, the world right now, out on Netflix. If you have a paid subscription to Netflix, you can watch it. Um, and we probably recommend that you do that before we get into our review. Um, although, it is important to note that we, because we cover new films, we always do them spoiler-free. We don't want to ruin anyone's experience watching a film, of course. What you consider a spoiler may not be what we consider a spoiler, but we we try to stay as you know early on as, into the plot details as possible as to not uh, divulge anything you don't want to hear. Um, that said, uh, we're going to get into it. So um, I feel like setting up a little bit of um, of uh, backstory to my my love of David Fincher. I am a, I'm a pretty big David Fincher fan. Um, mm-hmm. I've I think I've seen all of his stuff. Uh, I am, I am I'm not, I don't love alien three, but I don't hate alien three. Like a lot of other people do. I, I find it uh, an intriguing first entry into his filmography. It's uh, fine. Right. Uh, but fight club was one of the first films that kind of like shattered my idea of what a movie could be. Um, as I went in just expecting some, you know, movie about fighting and got my mind blown by what it did. Uh, you know, I love his version of girl with a dragon tattoo. I have seen both. Um, I like both. Uh, but I do like Fincher's a lot. Um, love the social network. Uh, Gone Girl is a great movie. I don't know that I, I don't feel comfortable saying I love that movie because it's just really tough to watch, but uh, yes. love the Zodiac though. The first time I saw that uh, just his, his whole filmography. I've not done much of his TV, but I would needless to say, I was really excited to finally see Mink um, being a Fincher fan. And the first thing that I kind of thought while watching it by the end, it doesn't feel as much like a Fincher film as I would have expected. And that's not necessarily a criticism because I did like the movie. I I found it. uh, The thing is, I love the subject anyways. Anytime we're looking at like Hollywood and the industry, I'm usually captivated. And Citizen Kane is a film that I um, saw for the first time, just maybe five years ago. I've taught it twice. um, And I've, I, the first time didn't go very well. The students did not respond uh, to the movie very well there were circumstances out of my control that i should have chose to delay the viewing of um but i would later teach that same class two years later in fact uh after they'd matured a bit as viewers and as people because they, they were freshmen the first time i showed it so i've I've worked with citizen kane i've done a lot of the like the backstory of it i, I know a lot about orson wells uh, i don't know everything about wells um i still have a lot of films of his i want to watch um i own a couple that i still haven't dove into but um so this whole thing is just like made for me to enjoy. And I did, uh, I found it to be, um, I, even at first, I think I was a little like not pulled in. I was just like, all right, all right, just kind of waiting. And then suddenly I just was like in, and I, I was completely drawn into the film. I really think Gary Oldman's doing some of his great, great work. I I'm an Oldman fan, but there are times where I think he goes way too big. Um, and so I wasn't <laughs> sure what we were going to get here. I think this is the more subdued old man in which I enjoyed a lot. Not that he doesn't have a few moments, but I feel like they're still contained. If you were to compare it to like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, of so uh, I'm, I'm really uh, overall happy with this film. I thought it looked pretty fantastic. I, I liked the choice to go black and white given the time period and also matching a lot of parallels to the movie he's writing with citizen Kane. Um, biggest compliment I think I can throw this movie though is Tom Burke as as Orson Welles was 
perfect and he nailed the voice like the first time he was on the phone i was like oh my god it sounds like orson welles like it's so spot on and that is a voice you have to nail it's there's so much gravitas in his voice right like it just it just has the weight of this guy like everything about orson welles is mythic in a way that is is unparalleled to most others like he has this presence that lives up to the hype if you you know grew up hearing about how great citizen kane was but never actually had access to seeing it and then you see like you hear him speaking you see him and you're just like wow this guy really is this figure that i've imagined in my head and and i thought tom burke did a really good job of bringing that to life um in this movie uh he's not in it a lot but when he's there i thought man that guy is carrying this really well um, I love uh, it's gotten me really like diving deep into the history again. I, I actually uh, was surprised to find out that um, I have failed three years of my film program as none of them even knew what Citizen Kane was until today. And I'm like, Whoa. I've not even mentioned it. Like, are you sure? Maybe you just weren't listening. But um, I, I'm going to uh, introduce them to Mank tomorrow. Uh, not we're not watching it, but I'm going to show them the trailer, encourage them to watch it on their own. Now that I've piqued some interest with Citizen Kane, I found a really cool video on YouTube that kind of. Uh, shows how Citizen Kane has influenced basically every filmmaker since. Um, And I had them watch that today. It was just like a three minute, right? Quick kind of like, look what Citizen Kane has done uh, as far as being influential. And then um, from there, uh, they're going to see the trailer for Mank. And then I have a cool video lined up where Martin Scorsese talks about his uh, personal um, experience with Citizen Kane, like how it influenced him directly. So uh, it's like three days of a heads up of, um, of that content for my students as uh, this movie kind of inspired that it just sparked a renewed interest in a topic that I was already kind of versed in and interested in, but didn't really know Mank's story, which I found to be uh, very, very compelling. And of course there's a lot of political parallels to things that have been happening in our world that I always find to be um, eye opening. And uh, currently I I'm much more intrigued by history than I ever have been in my life um, because of the, the last year of chaos that we've gone through uh and i found a lot of the parallels um in this film to be uh worth exploring especially now that you you've informed me that it was written in 2003 so i don't know if he adjusted things I think to, before that or or sorry yes you said his dad died in 2003 i think um, i think so yeah so either way i wonder if he adjusted things to fit the current climate or if that was a coincidence or if that's just you know proves that history does repeat itself as we have come to see time and time again um yeah i i think how how i think there may have been a few tweaks here and there but i'm not sure too many because fincher's been waiting to make this film say for years from what i've read about it and um obviously with the with the revelation i say revelation but the news that his father wrote it then it obviously took on a new meaning for him so it's always going to be personal and it certainly plays out like a movie that is a love letter we know that Fincher. We know Fincher's thoughts on the cinema system and the Hollywood system. He doesn't like it, and you can see that in this film. You can there's there's it's a it's a love letter to the golden era again, kind of, but it's also a biting look at the studio system, the politics, and the cynicism that go on behind closed doors. So it's definitely a personal project for Fincher in many ways. Um, and I, I too like Fincher, just to piggyback off your intro there. I too like Fincher. Alien 3 is fine. It really isn't as bad as the world thinks it is. There are issues, but just look at the look at the production issues and just oh, go with that. A lot Seven, of his issues are the things that you just said he hates too, like the studio system. Exactly. He, he's Because pretty much from his first feature film, he's 
disliked the studio system and the interference from above from Alien 3. We won't even talk about that film anymore, apart from literally a sentence here and there over the past almost 30 years. But uh, 7 is wonderful. I think 7 is incredible. Yeah, but again, so very bleak and miserable, but it's such a great film. Uh, Fight Club 2, Zodiac is amazing. I was talking about that earlier on. In fact, I really like Zodiac. Um, and Social Network, you can't ever not put the social network towards the top of Fincher's film because it really is a bloody good film. Um, but this one, I thought it, I thought it looked excellent. Uh, I know it was shot uh, in using modern technology, digital equipment, but you know, the amount of work they made to make it look like a period piece. And I think it did. I think it did play off as an old, old thirties, forties film for the most part, the black and white tones look really rich. The, you had the classic fades of um, the in and out fades. Uh, the frames are cracking and things like that. It, you know, they, they had a lot of time went into making this look as authentic as possible. Like you, I think the cast were good. Gary Oldman was, I think he was excellent as Mankiewicz. I think he was restrained enough. I totally agree with you that he, and it's not a bad thing. He could chew the scenery as much as anyone. Yeah. And I think for me, just about kept it on board. There's a wonderful monologue during this film uh, in the in the final third, which I thought was very, very good. Um, Charles Dance was great. Amanda Seyfried, I I, th- I love Amanda Seyfried. I think she's so good as the sort of speak first, think later Marion Davis. Lily Collins is probably like the film's grounding point. She's like the most normal of the characters in the film, and it's good to see her continue. <coughs> it, uh, but this is uh, obviously an Oscar play. You mentioned that the streaming uh, streaming platforms are dropping their big films now. Obviously, the Oscars are being pushed back a few months, but. It's Oscar season, isn't it? And there are no theatrically released films. So now is the time for a streaming movie to step up and take that Best Picture Oscar. Mank is obviously gunning for it. It's gunning for the acting awards. Did I enjoy it? I, I think so. I think so. It's just such <clears> a <throat> bloody well-made film. And it's well acted. And there's some good moments in it. But I just didn't feel like I'm invested. Mm. There was like an emotional void. And I don't know if that's purposeful or not, because it is a character study into this washed up writer by Hollywood standards. He's about to drop his masterpiece, as I say, but I did enjoy it, but I was never at any point invested. I was just, I was just along for the ride, which um, doesn't always happen with Fincher films. So it's taken me since watching this film till about well five minutes before we started recording to kind of work out whether I, whether I enjoyed it, not whether I liked it, but whether I enjoyed it. I definitely liked it. And I think I enjoyed it. There's a lot of great moments in it, but there are also bits that kind of, you know, they take a bit of time towards in the middle. They, you know, you, you could do a bit of chopping, changing, but far bit for me to tell Fincher how to make a film. You mentioned the parallels to actual Citizen Kane. They're obvious to anyone who's seen the movie. If you don't know much about the studio system or this era of Hollywood, this is going to be a confusing film. I don't know. I don't know everything about what was going on. And I had to look it up afterwards. Like, what does that mean? Who was this person? Um, so there's that, but again, that's not, that, should, that should never be a criticism of the film. That you know, he's Fincher's made a, made a film for himself and for aficionados and people who've had to research. That isn't a criticism of the film; it's just a kind of a heads up. But my only other issue, and it, this again, this isn't an issue with the film; it's more probably what we're going to talk about later on. But it just feels like a streaming film. It feels like it's kind of adjacent to the other Fincher films. Who obviously they release big screen. This does just feel like a a Fincher project rather than a Fincher big film. It would have looked wonderful on the big screen, but I don't know. It's kind of feels detached from his filmography for me. And I don't know why that is. Maybe I'll get over it soon, but 
I did like it. I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to, but I really, really did like it. If that makes any sense whatsoever. I kind of, like I said, I feel the same way in, in, Oh, like I mentioned that it didn't feel like a Fincher film to me. And that's, I think what I'm saying is like, it's not that it's, it's, it's as well made as his other films. It's just, there is something about it that feels not Fincher enough to me. I don't, and I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's because his father wrote the screenplay or maybe it's because he had complete freedom with Netflix, maybe because that's my understanding is why he liked yeah. working with them. Um, but it, something does feel slightly off. I, I think it's, it's an excellent film. Um, I did get invested, but I think my investment was my kind of interest in the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was also, I, we were watching um, uh, His Girl Friday in my film um, one class. This uh, started last week and continued. And the whole um, governor, the mayor and the sheriff element, I started wondering if that was real, like connected to the uh, Upton, I'm going to forget his last name now the 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 election that's happening in mank yeah because um, it would have been about six years removed but it definitely would have left you know people feeling certain ways about things and uh you know there's obviously there's all the the stuff with um the blacklisting is going to start and and whatnot so i wasn't sure but i was just i was very compelled by the whole thing and uh i do like i really like oldman a lot in this um again because i genuinely like him but there are definitely roles where i'm just like oh, okay maybe Maybe too much. Um, like I, I think you could argue that with uh, True Romance, his character is like way over the top, yeah. and I I think it works in Leon the Professional, but he's way over the top in that. And I don't think it works in Bram Stoker's Dracula. I think that movie is not good. I don't know why people love that film, but see, I don't mind the film. I like him as that film. Obviously, it's Keanu and that voice, which yeah. basically almost almost caused United Kingdom to sink into the ocean. That accent did, but uh, I don't mind him in that film. But again. But also, I kind of think that you need to, if you're going to differentiate yourself from the the vampires of old, I think he kind of needed to go big, and it's in his wheelhouse. But I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I'm not even necessarily criticizing his performance as much as I just don't like that movie. And Keanu is a big part of the reason for sure. As much as I love Keanu, uh, that that performance is not good for anybody. Um, But yeah, uh, I could see. I don't know. I one of my history friends and a listener of of our pods. Uh, I I was like, hey, I really think you're gonna like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quickly just threw out because I know she's into like Citizen Kane, and she, um, we're both really uh, big fans of Val Luton. Um, yep. Because of the uh, podcast Secret History of Hollywood, um, she got me into that podcast, and uh, so I, I you know I was like, I think you'll really like this. She knew nothing about it. Thank you, Netflix, for continuing to live up to that hype. That so you, bad, isn't it? Um, but she she immediately watched it, which is impressive because it took me like two years to get her to watch Blind Spotting. But uh, she really was into it and was like, you know, throwing more history at me about it. And I'm just like, yeah, this, this movie definitely hits that note really, really well. If this is something you're interested in, it's going to uh, at least tug on that interest ring. I don't know that it does everything it could do. Um, to make it really stand out or to make you more emotionally invested. But if you find yourself invested, I think the movie is going to be a really enjoyable watch. And it's just at two hours, I think, right? It was like just over two hours. Two hours and 10 minutes, yeah. I believe. It, not, it, it didn't feel long to me, uh, which I was at first I thought it was going to, because at first I was not invested. At some point I really did get into it. I'm also, I'm a big fan of TMC. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, TCM, TCM, Turner Classic Movie. Yep. Just messed it up. 
And Ben Mankiewicz is one of the uh, the hosts, and um, they do a lot of retro screenings throughout, like uh, like Fathom events and stuff. And when Mankiewicz does his uh, like intros and stuff, it's always some of my favorite. And he is, from what I read, he is the grandson of of uh, um, Sweet. Herman Mankiewicz. So I think that's cool that you know Ben's like connected to the industry in that way, and um, is definitely like a film historian. So uh, I was another connection to like the Mankiewicz character. I was like, well, I think this guy's related to another person that i enjoy um so yeah uh interesting kind of look at this that the industry and this time period and again uh, citizen kane what which is argued by many to be the greatest film ever made yes it's an argument that will go on for uh for the for the length of time especially when hudson hawks in the frame a eh? but yeah I, i'm not entirely sure this film was meant to be like an emotionally investing film i think i don't and that's where i'm kind of also, again, reticent to kind of, you know, dig it into the sand too much because it isn't there to play in your heartstrings. There aren't moments there where you, you're like, oh, or don't do that or don't go this way. There isn't any real moments like that, but it's it's more just like character investment. I I was more invested in the performance of Gary Oldman than Mankiewicz himself. Um, but I, I loved how he was portrayed. I like, I you know, Mankiewicz was outspoken. He was... He did rub against a grain and rub people up the wrong way. And Gary Oldman, I think, captured that very well. And I'm so glad they got his kind of like semi-famous quoting at the end when he says, uh, not at the end, sorry, during the film, when he says, I'm very happy to accept this award in Mr. World's absence because the script was written in Mr. World's absence. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a fantastic quote. And I'm glad that they uh, they kind of nodded to that as well. But, I, yeah, again, they, they, I like it. I thought it was a very well-made film. You know, Fincher delivers on that. It's well acted. The script as well, I think it's actually very well written. So everything is there. It, to me, it was just missing that kind of pull to make to keep me glued to the screen. You know, I, I you know I wasn't ever sort of out, but I was never really like glued, and I couldn't take my eyes off what was going on. But listen, absolutely check it out. We always say for these films, even if it's like the kissing booth, or, it's still on Netflix. So go check it out. See if you agree with us. But Mank isn't the kissing booth, thankfully, and it is on Netflix, and it is there for everyone to uh, to go watch. And it is it's an Oscar play. They you know they're they're setting up their play for the Oscars. Do you reckon it's got any chance? I know we haven't seen all of the contenders, and Bad Boys is probably still going to win something. But Man. do you think is there any chance of winning anything, or at least being nominated? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Hollywood or the, sorry, the Oscars love Hollywood movies, right? So uh, of course, good chance that the, it'll get a Best Picture nod because of that alone. Um, Fincher could definitely get a director nod, and and Oldman is a regular in the Best Actor. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get the nod again, although he did just win a couple of years ago for. Um, did he not win? Darkest Hour. Yeah, he did win for that, right? He did. Remember, yes, that was his win finally. Maker. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Uh, I could see him getting nominated again. Um, I, I think this performance is. I like Darkest Hours too, but I think this performance is better. Um, in some ways, more him, isn't it? It's less yeah. makeup and prosthetics. Even though he was great, but this is more Gary Oldman. Yes. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see it getting all of those things. Um, I think the look of the film is pretty solid. It's a period piece, so costuming is always an option, as we've said before. Uh, you know, like getting everything, production design, that kind of thing. So. Um, definitely possible. Yep, I, I agree. I think it'll be in there in the shake up in, come uh, come next year. All right. Well, that is our review of Mank. Again, that's available to watch right now on Netflix. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. We'll give you our social media at the end of this, where you can tell us what you what you thought of Mank. 
But in the meantime, we're going to first look at chuffed headlines. These are headlines from movie or pop culture news that caught our attention since the last time we recorded. Um, we've got a few that are kind of connected. And actually, we have some breaking news uh, that I just uh, saw on about 20 different affiliates um, that I think is worth talking about. So, uh, Matt, why don't we start us off with the big blockbuster news. Another Oscar play, I think. Um, Dude, this is this is it. I mean, I saw this the other day and I was like, you know what? I kind of wish this had come out. This particular film comes out on Sunday, so when you're hearing this, a few days' time, 13th of December. I was like, I wish this had come out this week because I think we could have reviewed this as a potential uh, Oscar bait as well. And I really, I really do believe this is Oscar bait, and it's um, oh, I can't even say it with a I never say it with a straight face, but the film is called uh, A Recipe for Seduction. You may have seen it on social media. There's not an awful lot to say about this, but Lifetime have partnered with KFC, yes, that KFC, to make a mini-movie starring Safe by the Bells, Mario Lopez. Uh, here we go. This is the synopsis. This is all, and, and I watched the trailer earlier on. I, I, I was meant to say to JB before, before the automotive travels, you've got to watch this trailer. It's incredible. But the synopsis for this mini-movie, it follows a young heiress as she struggles to pick between a rich suitor selected by her mother and the new house chef, Harlan Sanders. Who brings more than his 11 herbs and spices secret recipe to the table? In lifetime fashion, things take a turn for, for the dramatic, with the heiress mother and the disappointed suitor seeking to take out the KFC mascot himself. So if you watch the trailer, it gets deep. They really go ham with the music, with the, the intensity. Is, Harlan, is Colonel Sanders going to make it out alive? Are they going to take his recipe? Tune in. Sunday, 12pm, lifetime. A recipe for seduction. For a laugh, please do, because I'd because la- I'm not going to. I don't get lifetime over here, so I'd love to see hear what people think about this. Like buff, sexy Sanders, they're calling him now. So uh, I know John's going to be watching this because he's a you know, he's a big fan of Hallmark and Lifetime. So John, please watch this and let me know what you think. Yes, um, you know I, I'm curious if the eleven herbs and spices are going to be a part of the plot. Um, I feel like that has to be right. Like maybe the maybe... recipe was mentioned a few times in the trailer which they really kind of play as this like thriller. It, it's played out like a thriller. You honestly have to watch the trailer. It is unreal. You, oh, it's incredible. You have to watch it. It is. Uh, it's crazy. We're living in a world where this is happening. Um, you know, we already, we already knew that films are full of product placement and this is like the next level. Um, I mean, not since what uh, Mac and me, has there been such a blatant, like, product oh. placement uh it's it, Power rangers tried it with their crispy cream but ah yes man, oh that's right that's right but that still wasn't the movie wasn't like set it wasn't like the power rangers all worked at crispy cream you know what i mean like the, yeah, no, yeah. the product placement's there but it's not like this is colonel sanders is now a character like this is the ronald mcdonald movie is patch adams you know like it, it's kind of crazy uh but funny I, I'm pretty sure there are still people who th- think that the me it's just a meme that somebody made and that it's not actually a movie that's coming out this weekend. Cause that's where I was sitting uh, even right before this was like, maybe it's not real. Maybe it's just a it's joke, like a really real. clever marketing campaign. Um, which I guess KFC has been kind of alluding to it. Their last couple of years of commercials have had like the rotating actors playing Colonel Sanders. So like, it seems like maybe that was uh, trying to find the right guy and Mario Lopez apparently, uh, the resurgence of saved by the bell on the peacock network. Um, maybe that's what's happening. I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy times. So the marketing is fantastic because 
I've seen it uh, over here in jolly old England. I don't have Lifetime. I don't even know we have it. We probably do have it over here, but I, I'm not subscribed to it. But, you know, it's, I'm talking about it now. It's one of my headlines I've picked up because a lot of people have taken it taken it, and ran with it for, for giggles. But, you know, it's causing a, a mini stir online, nothing major, because of the absurdity of it. So, you know, all, they say all marketing is good marketing and it's got KFC out. I love KFC. I'm a huge fan of KFC. But it's got them out there again. You know, they're not going to mind this one bit. Yeah, no. Um, so, yeah, that's out on Lifetime. Um, I think I'll do my headline first, and then we'll go back to yours. I think it kind of follows in that order. Yeah, it makes um, sense, dude. And I th- we I think we talked about last week uh, the, all of the WB movies dropping on HBO Max in 2021. Um, or maybe we just talked about Wonder Woman. But it, Wonder Woman 84 is going to be the first one. It's dropping on, on uh, Christmas. And then basically WB said all of their movies are going to drop on same day streaming as they do in the- in theaters. And uh, they'll only be on HBO Max for the m- a month from the theatrical release. So you have like a limited window where you can watch it if you subscribe. But still, it's the boldest move that we've seen yet from a studio. Mm-hmm. And apparently uh, there's a report that both Gail Godot and uh, Patty Jenkins, who is the director of uh, WW84, Wonder Woman 84, um, were paid $10 million to praise this idea, to praise uh, Wonder Woman being on HBO Max same day as the theatrical run, um, essentially getting what they would have got, what their estimated uh, take would have been from the the, uh, theatrical run that it should have had in the summer. Um, 10 million um, each. 10 million each, according to this article. Um, And I got the article from... uh, cbr comic book i think is the name it's like uh yep comic book resources something like that um and it seems legit uh there's some other like sources out there reporting similar things so um whether or not that's a hundred percent accurate just the idea that hbo max felt like we need publicity to back this idea we need um to make sure that people think this is a good idea supposedly the uh the numbers have increased already since the the announcement like that their subscription numbers are up i believe they if they haven't already they're removing the free trial option i bet i bet they are well because they don't want people to sign up and then drop us after they watch it so um and if they're gonna be doing all these theatrical releases it makes sense because there's some big movies coming out from warner brothers this year um and all of them are just going to be included with your your monthly subscription so it's a it's a huge it's a huge concern for people like us who love the theater and what's going to happen. And um, it does speak kind of volumes that they felt the need to pay the director and actor to be positive about this, which tells me they probably would have preferred this to just have a theatrical run. You know, this movie's clearly made for the big screen. Most action, like epic comic book movies are. And Wonder Woman was the most successful um, DC universe film to date. Um, not counting Joker because Joker was not technically a part of the DCEU. And while the, the extended universe seems to have faded out as a concept at this point, mm-hmm. it's still like the big one of the group. I think it even did better than justice league in the box office. If I remember correctly. So oh, yeah, it did. No, it did. Yeah. Uh, Aquaman did a billion as well. Yeah. Which I, I don't think that's the great, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this is wild news, isn't it? Honestly, this is, we've been speaking about this for, well, since the pandemic began, certainly like BAMP, in the Bampopolis era, I kind of still can't say it. Um, about, you know, and back in March, we're like, you know, theatres will probably be open soon. This will have a short term knock on effect. And here we are towards t- Taylor than the year now. Warner Brothers dropping every single one of their slate. 
Sherlock Holmes, The Suicide Squad, The Matrix 4, Dune, Godzilla vs. Kong, Black Adam, The Conjuring 3, Space Jam. They're all coming out on HBO Max. And it's only for a month, obviously, and it's being released theatrically. So I mean, I'm going to mention it in a bit, what I think about that because regarding my headlines, but it's, it's wild, isn't it? But the $10 million, I mean... Yeah, they're going to make a lot of money from subscription, and they're oh, but they're also going to take a, a big hit potentially, obviously on box office because I think they could have assumed that Wonder Woman eighty four would have probably made at least eight hundred seven eight hundred million. It's not going to make that on streaming yet. They're paying twenty million dollars. I'm guessing plus they've already paid their salaries for the film. That's already been paid. Another ten million dollars just to say, yep, tell them the film's great. Tell, sorry, tell them this idea is wonderful. That stinks to me, man. Honestly, it really does. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and start saying, you know, the world's in turmoil. People out there are struggling, and yet you're doing paying $10 million. It's not even that. It's just $10 million just to put out a statement to say, yeah, we think this is a great idea. That's just... Uh, I don't know, man. I Honestly, I don't think... I just don't see how it, that's a good idea. Obviously, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot think it's a great idea. Their bank accounts are s- swelling now, but... I don't know. It also just smacks of desperation. The fact that they have to pay such a large amount of money to these, uh, you know, their top tier talent. Would they not? Would they not have done it for a lesser fee? Was it? Was that what they demanded? Were they that unhappy with the fact it was going on streaming? That raises questions, man. Yeah, um, and, and of course, also like, you know, did that was that the first offer where they just like here you go, and it's like wow, that was a bold assumption <laughs> yeah. that they need that much money, but we were only going to ask for half a million each, but we'll go with that. Or like, I wonder if, were they, were they looking like they were going to be negative about it? And so they like, this is hush money, essentially, you know, like those are questions, um, especially because again, that ties directly into uh, your article that I think is important because of the history that your filmmaker has with the company. Yes. And my article um, is Christopher Nolan. He who wanted to watch his films on iPods, he's been he bashed Warner Brothers' decision to to release their entire slate for next year on HBO Max. I mean, it shouldn't come as a surprise that Christopher Nolan doesn't think this is a good idea, given his thoughts about Tenet and wanting to be wanting to get it out and have people to enjoy the theatrical experience in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but Christopher Nolan has come out and he said some of our greatest some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie, movie, movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. Oh, Christopher man. Nolan's not, he's not uh, mincing his words. And he went on to say that it makes no economic sense. There's, you know, the difference between disruption and dysfunction is there for all to see. But he's there. Uh, Christopher Nolan obviously isn't happy with us whatsoever. John M. Chu, the director of searching, Came spoke about it as well. Denis Villeneuve, who's also impacted by this, he's come out and said, you know, this, I don't think this is a good idea. He's got Dune coming out next year. You know, if there's ever a film, if there's a film from 2021 that is absolutely screaming to be watched on the biggest screen with the best sound system, I would have put my hand up straight away and said, it's got to be Dune. But let's not forget, now to the point I was going to say earlier on, these films are still being released theatrically. It's, they are not being pulled out of theatres. So Dune can still be seen on the big screen by those who really want to. If you want to go out and watch Dune on the big screen, you still can do. And the, and the you know, the quote unquote casuals 
who were kind of undecided, they will watch it at home. It's and the question is regarding Dune is how much money was Dune going to make realistically? We look at Blade Runner twenty forty nine, big budget, big stars, looked great, uh, continuing an IP uh, on a big IP, made you know in terms of a box office, it was a flop, even though it was a wonderfully good film. Dune it was. I don't think Dune was ever forecast to make big money, so I don't think it's, I don't think it'd be a huge hit financially for them. I mean, it costs a lot to make, but I don't think Dune was ever going to make huge figures. That, that's just me. I think because I think it, there is still that niche of factor that applies to it, but you can still go and see it at the theatre. Same with uh, the Conjuring Three. If you want to get scared in the cinema, you can do Godzilla versus Kong, The Matrix Four. Again, that's surely begging to be watched on a big screen. Yeah. But you can do, but it does raise the question uh, and the, the issue now, like JB said, and like we've been saying, and like a lot of you guys have been saying as well, is what does this mean? Because box office is going to take a hit. Uh, the, the talent is now being paid $10 million each, those uh, Patty and Gal were, to say what a great idea this was. Who knows who else has been paid off behind the scenes? Piracy, let's not beat around the bush if they're on HBO Max, they're going to be on the internet within minutes and people are going to be like, well, I don't, I'm not even going to sign up for HBO Max because I can watch it on some dodgy website with a funny domain online and it will be HD quality. So win-win for them. They get the quality version of the film and they don't pay a penny. That's going to be a problem, especially around the world as well, because there'll be people around the world who we don't get HBO Max and I'm not going to pirate the film because I'm not an idiot. But in the United Kingdom, we don't get HBO Max. It will be released over here, but there will be people who'll be like, I'm, I, I, there's a pandemic going on. I, if I have an option to watch it at home, legal or not, they're going to do it. Let's not pretend that doesn't happen. So there's that. And these aren't and these aren't small films we're talking about, all the ones I've just mentioned, plus more as well. These aren't little films. Like The Suicide Squad, that, that could have probably done a, a, fair, a fair few dollars at the box office. So I don't know. There's a lot of questions being raised about this. They have stated categorically that this is just for 2021 only, but then, you know, other streaming services like Disney have also said that, you know, the pandemic has brought forward their plans for releasing big films on streaming at the same time. So it seems like it's always in the pipeline. It's just been brought forward. And I don't think the studios are all too bothered by that, but the theater, the theaters will be the fans, film fans like you and I and the listeners is, it's what it is worrying. I don't, I don't think it's going to be the definitive nail in the coffin, but I mean, it's going a long way to doing it. I think so. Do you reckon? Well, I mean, what damage do you think this could do? Do you really think it's going to be the death knell, or is it just another another nail in the coffin? I think it is a a step in the wrong direction for theaters mm-hmm. um, because um, I think we're going to see other studios potentially follow suit and that could be the damning thing, right? If it's just Warner brothers, fine. It is a major studio. Those are some major movies that are going to be pulled. Well, not necessarily pulled from theaters, but you know, audiences are going to choose to stay home and watch it for free rather than pay a second, like either a ticket or a subscription service at a theater. Um, And fuel. And uh, the only thing that could save it, and I've heard this from a few different sources of like speculation that, because we have been on lockdown to a degree, and I am in a state where we are really not on lockdown, um, but we still have limited res- like movie theaters closed around us. There's not most of the theaters aren't open um, uh, in the in my local area, and um, 
So the hope is that once we are safe to go and do these things, that people will want to get out because they've been unable to go. And so sitting at home and watching TV may not be appealing once we have stuff open. So that little bit of hope, I think is true. Cause when I listen to people talk, a lot of people just want to get out of the house. And if, if movies are an option that might be, and at the same time, you're leaving one chair to go to another chair. Maybe that's not how you want to get out of the house. Maybe you want to get out of the house. You want to go like somewhere and, and be out, not watching more screens, you know? So it, it, it's hard to say for sure, but I, I am, I am concerned. I do. Um, obviously Nolan is notorious for the, uh, the theatrical experience. He's been anti streaming for a long time. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't blame him. Um, I like the, the theatrical experience, but I do think um, maybe we should reevaluate how we distribute movies. Not every movie needs a theatrical run. Maybe we let movies no, like, if we think back to the old days when a movie could sit in the theater for six months and no one would complain, um, maybe that's the format we need to kind of fall back to that movies are, aren't being theatrically released at the rate of like two to three a week for most of the year. Um, and instead, like, you know, maybe we only do like a hundred major releases in theaters and everything else goes to a streaming service and people would be okay with that. Cause again, if you look at the numbers, a lot of people only go to those big theatrical releases in the first place. The big Ted Poe films, yeah. And, uh, you know, and then we have those art house theaters for the smaller stuff that we already are having. It's, it wouldn't be that different. We just wouldn't have as many junk blockbusters getting th- dropped on us, you know? <laughs> oh, Christ. Yeah, but every single Roland Emmerich or Dean Devlin film could just sod off to Netflix, Amazon Prime, and then they can do their marketing so I never have to watch that kind of film. Listen, if if I can, if these films drop, let's, let's use The Conjuring 3, if that drops in, well, I don't know, April, March, April time, and we're kind of in a state now where going out isn't frowned upon, you can go out, uh, theatres are open. I, absolutely, I'm going to go. I want to watch all of these films at the cinema. If the opportunity's there and it's safe to do so, I'm hauling myself up and I'm going to the theatre to watch it. Uh, given the choice, I will be doing it. And I know a lot of people, like yourself, if you if it's obviously if all the variables are positive, you will go to watch all these films at the theatre. And that's the kind of positive I'm trying to take is that this isn't HBO, uh, Warner Brothers and AT&T saying, look, we're, we're not showing them in theaters whatsoever. So if you want to if you want to watch them, you can't. You have to subscribe. They're out there. And obviously in the UK, they'll only be theatrical. So um, I'm, al- I'm always going to hope to get out and w- watch the film. So that's the kind of shoot of positivity I'm taking is that if you do want to go and watch it at the theater, you can do. And that option isn't being taken away. And every other studio so far hasn't followed suit to such an extent anyway. Yeah. Um, I'd be very surprised if the, you've got the Disney shareholder phone call uh, the day this episode drops. I'd be very surprised if suddenly Disney were like, yep, all of our 2021 releases are coming out on Disney Plus. Would I be surprised if they dropped a few? No. But Black Widow is obviously the big one. You've got Black and obviously and Eternals and things like that. What they're going to do with that, we don't know. And Black Widow is is the kind of like the elephant in the room at the minute. What they do with that, I think, will speak volumes to their strategy going forward. But yeah. we don't know yet. However, those films are still going to be out in the theatre. So if it's safe to do so, let's all go and watch them uh, and support the industry still. Yeah. And uh, the last thing for Chot Headlines is worth note. Um, it's all over on my social media feed right now. Uh Alfred Molina has been is coming back as Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 3, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, 
which had already been rumoring to have other uh the former spider-man in the movie in some capacity we're getting some version of the uh the spider-verse story um and i like and dislike that i don't i feel like i love the animated movie so much i don't want them to just force this in this movie um I can see it working and there had already been the talk of Dr. Strange being involved in Spider-Man three, which I think if you saw the last Spider-Man movie and you are familiar with the civil war post civil war story arc in the comics, Dr. Strange being involved made a lot of sense because of that. So now I'm really not sure what's going on, but it's, it's interesting. Um, You know, Melina was probably my favorite part of Spider-Man two. So him coming back as Doc Ock, I think is, is pretty good. So, uh, uh, Alfred Millie, uh, 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 we're at loggerheads on that film. I think Spider-Man 2 is one, wicked, great. And Doc Ock and Alfred Molina is, is so good in that film. Like a villain who actually, you, you kind of fear this villain because he, he isn't messing around. Uh, I look, uh, uh, I, I'm excited for it because we're also getting Jamie Foxx coming back as Electro after his uh, amazing Spider-Man 2 appearance. So they are we are mixing up the timelines now. So in one way, that's exciting to see these different iterations of uh, the character and the villains and the the stable coming together, but yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, how how muddied are the waters going to be? That this doesn't feel like Spider Man three or whatever it's going to be called. Um, it just feels like a yeah a multiverse or a, 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 a an MCU a, a stepping off point for the MCU or for other for other characters. I don't know. I mean, Doc Ock may only be in it for thirty seconds. Let's not forget that. Uh, Jamie Foxx may only be in this film for a minute, if that. Uh, he also said that three different Spider-Men are going to appear in the film, uh, Jamie yeah. Foxx. So yeah. it might only be cameos. But in Doc Ock, for what we know, man, I'm excited because I like Alfred Molina and I love him as Doc Ock. So count me in, man. Yeah, let's see what happens. I'm I'm, I'm curious. I, hope, I just hope they don't wreck because I love the first two Spider-Man movies from this MCU. So... Um, that's the headlines. Let's move into media consumption. Uh, this is movies, TV, video games, podcast, not ours, that we've been uh, consuming since the last time we recorded. And we like to just kind of share and talk about that. So, Matt, what have you been consuming in terms of uh, media? Um, film-wise, only a couple. But I've watched uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, our favorite of the saga, the uh, Alfonso Cuaron effort i watched philosopher's stone and the chamber of secrets a couple of weeks ago and i always do enjoy going back to watch the prisoner of azkaban because uh, first it's just a good film speaking of gary oldman it's a good film mm-hmm. and it's just again it's the stepping off point for potter to move away from the the first two columbus films yep. into what it became uh, i also watched the deathly hallows part one and two because i think together there it's a very 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 good double header especially if you watch them like i did pretty much one through the other uh, i think they work really well so we're covering harry potter on npm this week's but um even without needing to watch the films sometimes i just fancy going back to watch those films because i've said it many times the potter saga for me is one of the only sagas which doesn't have a bad film in it that doesn't, doesn't mean they're all great looking at you chamber of secrets but i don't think it's a bad film and even the Philosopher's Stone isn't a bad film. I think it's eight consistently good films, with some being really good. Um, so I, I wanted to go back and revisit that, um, especially having watched A Woman in Black recently. 
I must be on like a Daniel Radcliffe high. Um, oh, I also Harry watched Potter. on Shudder. I actually watched this the other week, but I forgot to mention it, but it's absolutely worth mentioning. Um, friend of the show uh, and JB's co-host on uh, Movie Club, uh, Corey, she mentioned this to me, that William Friedkin has a new documentary dropping on Shudder called Leap of Faith, and it's a feature-length documentary about the making of The Exorcist. It's an hour and 45 minutes long. And you might think, well, how many more times are they going to flog that horse? How, how many more stories are you going to hear from behind the scenes? But it's a really, really good one-on-one interview. So it's it's not with anybody else. It's just Billy Friedkin uh, and an interviewer. And it's a one-on-one in, uh, conversation, in, interaction. Uh, and he dishes new dirt on the film. And again, again there's nothing uh, groundbreaking in there. But there are little details that I, I wasn't aware of, having like consumed every single piece of information uh, since... I started watching the film all those years ago. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. So thank you to Corey for bringing it to my attention. And I recommend it if you're a fan of horror filmmaking or The Exorcist, check it out. And an hour and 45 minutes long, it's an absolute treat for, for fans of the film like me. Um, so that's what I've been watching film-wise. I, I listened I listened to some music, John. Oh. I listened to some music finally. And I have actually been listening to some of the ones you mentioned. I've been listening to Youngblood quite a lot recently as well. Ah, and... Cool. Um, uh, I can't remember what it's called. One of the other ones you mentioned, I can't remember what they're called. It's got the word Royal in it, them. Um, but I listened to uh, Chromatica by Lady Gaga this week. I, I, I'm i a huge fan of Gaga. I'm a little monster, I think I am. Um, I really do dig Gaga, and I have no shame in that because she's amazing. But I first time I listened to the Chromatica album, I think I listened to the first single with Ariana Grande. I was like, this is okay. It's fine. And I never really, never really went back to the album. Because um, it's released in the in COVID times, and I think it was just like everything going on. I don't want to listen to new music or watch new stuff. I want I watch old comfortable comfort films uh, and the comfort music. But I listened to it this week. I was like, this is quality. It's great if you're a fan. I mean, this is old news to fans of uh, music, but I really dug it, man. If you like the first album, it's kind of like a throwback to that, mm. just a more quote unquote mature version. I think it's brilliant. I wanted to throw it out there because. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of her. I've seen her twice live, actually. Um, but I, well, I wanted to shout out that I finally listened to the album. I had a good time with it. And the other thing I watched is something that we share in common, and we always share this segment. You know what's coming. Friday morning, The Mandalorian, uh, episode six, chapter 14. So we're now coming up to the business end. And this was, I said last week, this was going to be a transitional episode. Mando's probably going to stop off refuel the razor crest have to do a side mission uh and then they're going to go on to bigger things and well i was wrong wasn't i i'm not going to get into particular of the story but this wasn't a transitional episode this was robert rodriguez who i know jb's a big fan of and i'm a fan of his work as well robert R- rodriguez directed a half an hour episode of the mandalorian again half an hour i hear you saying christ the amount of stuff he got into this episode was Un- unreal if you list it for f- fan service moments i mean this show's been bringing the fan service moment this is probably like the most fan servicey episode there is but i am i was here for it for what they did to a character who i've been openly like what's the big deal he's just a bit of a clown really i watched this episode i was like i went out and bought the costume and now i'm sitting here in the guy's outfit i am a convert such a cool episode it gave me what I wanted. It gave us some real surprises in it, especially one moment, which I did not see coming at all. It involves an explosion. No, I did not see that coming. 
I really enjoyed this. Um, I've seen a lot of people saying they think this is the best of the season. And to some people, this is the best of the entire series. Others have said it was a bit, yeah. But I really enjoyed this. And again, I'm taking off my biased like, Star Wars Sessions hat here. And even then, I'm honest on that show. I did really enjoy this as a half an hour show. But what did you think of this uh, episode, man? I liked it a lot. Um, and I definitely fell into the fan service um, of the season. And I saw a criticism today. I don't remember whose it was, to be honest. It was just something I saw through, like, scrolling through Instagram. But of um, this season kind of ruining what season one did, which was establish a Star Wars series that had nothing to do with the saga. <coughs> and they are, like, each episode is, like, sprinkling cameos of, um, I believe the criticism was used that they're just, like, grabbing action figures out of a bag and throwing them into the uh, the show. And I kind of felt that. And I'm like, that's true. Um and I don't know if it negates what season one did, but I did like that a lot about season one, that it was, there was no real connection yep. to the characters, at least like, yes, like some of the worlds and stuff were tied in and obviously the empire is still being a major part, but we are getting characters now from the extended universe, I guess, more or less, and maybe some other things. Um, and that is, it's concerning. It's not, I don't feel like it's been too forced. Um, it seems like the way they've introduced things has been pretty sensible. That's it, yeah. But I can still see that criticism being quite valid. And it is concerning because I, you know, the, we've talked about like the Ryan Johnson uh, trilogy that was supposed to maybe happen. It's still supposedly happening completely devoid of any Skywalker connection. And I love that idea. It just seems like they're afraid to really do it. And season two of The Mandalorian is like, oh, we have a hit. Cram in all the toys, you know, and it's like, hmm. That's that's bad. Yeah, man. No, well, that was my... I mentioned that on the sessions, the recap we do the other week, is that I'm loving all of this, but my biggest fear now is that they're tight. it's going to become like Clone Wars extension. It's going to become... A, a, like, let's just finish off what we started in Rebels, or let's bring this in. It, the scope has got noticeably bigger than season one, because the synopsis for The Mandalorian is a lone gunslinger in the outer region, outer rim, in a lawless outer rim. That's it. But now it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the connections are growing. And as long if they're going to bring these pe- characters in, as long as they do it in the way that they're doing, which feels organic, fine. But there does have to be a limit. Obviously, some of the people who they think who there are rumours that are going to come in in this season or next, I'm not here for whatsoever. If they do happen, of course, I'll throw my tea in the air in joy when it happens. But it's that kind of a period after where you kind of have to think, yeah, I'm not sure. I still want it to be that more contained story. I mean, about uh, a father and son in the galaxy. And you need to have some stakes. You need to have something. But I don't want it to connect to the sequel trilogy or anything like that. I I want it to be its own thing. It doesn't need to connect. So um, that being said, I'm a massive fan and I'm digging all of the fan service moments. But like you, I don't want it to get too big. I don't want it to get too crammed full. I don't want it to become the full universe where... You know, you remember this person from Rebels? You like them? Here they are. Why? Just because you like them. Here they are. I don't want it to come like that, man. So, um, touch wood, these last two episodes don't dive into that territory. But I think they're, they're I think they're setting up something big for the final uh, episode. I think they're setting up a big old. Like, are Avengers we expecting fight. eight episodes like season one? Yes. Okay. So I'm guessing seven and eight may be like a double header, but who knows? Well, they obviously time is not consistent so like they could make episode eight two hours if they want to because they've been all over the place this season so 
Yeah, they could do. I imagine that'll be more sort of 45, 50 minutes. And yeah. I hope, I mean, in, in an ideal world, it would be two hours long and it'd be great. But I think they're setting up a big old ending. But it, <clears throat> the one thing, I, the last thing I'll say on that is they're released. I saw a great uh, post on Instagram every day. Every Monday, the official account, Star Wars account, drops the character poster. So whoever popped up in the episode or whoever the main character was, they get their own poster released. And and they're really, really well done. And somebody put up all six of them in like next to each other. And then they let then they put two next to it, like seven and eight, with a question mark. Almost if to say, Well look, we've had if for the first six episodes we've had these characters pop up and we're getting these posters every Monday. Who's gonna be in a poster for the next two? And that kind of made me think, Oh damn, yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. That is almost it is almost like literally character of the week and that worries me, but the 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 quality is consistently good. So at the minute, I really can't complain. I would like for you to share me uh, that that post with the different posters. Um, I shall I, do that once we get off the recording, sir. Yes. Um. So, um, my turn, I guess. Uh, from that, um, I continue listening to the Blank Check podcast every week as my favorite podcast. Um, this week was Beowulf, uh, which I've never seen. And I, um, I listened to the episode first, and then uh, by coincidence, I found out Beowulf is on Netflix right now. So I, I started watching it last night. I only made it through. Uh, I got right up to the Angelina Jolie uh, disturbing decision to have her basically standing there, uh, an animated figure. Disturbing. Not my understanding is Angelina Jolie, based on the podcast, was did not know her character was going to be essentially nude, like. Um, and so she was not happy with the presentation of her character because um, she's like a monster character, uh, except for the scene where she's actually visible. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird movie. Um, it's you know Zemeckis's mocap phase, and it's generally uh, not loved. I do like Polar Express, and I also uh, I actually watched The Christmas Carol um, because that's the next episode of the podcast. But I also I I like that christmas carol it's not my favorite version of that story i actually think the muppet christmas carol is the best version of that story um but a christmas carol with jim carrey it's it's entertaining uh gary oldman again as bob cratchit um you know it's it's fine um it's i think probably the best looking of the mocap movies to be honest though Mm -hmm. um although it goes real hard on the 3d like there's scenes where you're like yeah this exists solely for the 3d (laughs) like it's <laughs> like the the whole uh ghost of christmas present sequence like he's like traveling around and it's like yeah this only got made this way because of the 3d technology otherwise this is not shot like this um or created like this uh but i've been on a christmas streak i've watched a lot of christmas movies since our last recording um i watched white christmas national lampoon's christmas vacation it's a wonderful life home alone home alone 2 and a christmas carol um all of this last couple of days pretty much and then uh Netflix has a series called um, something that made us like they have the toys that made us uh, oh, yeah, yeah. a year, a couple years. They did movies that made us, which I haven't watched yet, but I need to, um, but they dropped this weekend, uh, the holiday movies that made us and it's elf and nightmare before Christmas. Um, two movies that I adore and also am very, very familiar with a lot of the nightmare before Christmas stuff, but uh, it was less so with elf and it was really cool watching those. And um, I, I like that show anyways. I like the toys that made us. I think it's really cool to like, it's like docu-series. And uh, I, I recommend checking out that that uh, holiday movies that made us, especially if you like Elf or uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, especially listener. If you think Tim Burton directed Nightmare Before Christmas, because you need to learn some things. 
Um, it took me a while to realize he just produced it, didn't he? Uh, yes, and he did. He created the story, and the initial character design are credited to him. But the script was not him, which is not uncommon. He doesn't usually do his scripts. Um, but he he does a lot of the story concept. Um, he did not direct, and basically, he did have some final say in the movie. But uh, Harry Selnick, Henry Selnick, I think is a uh, Henry Selnick, yes. Uh, who would then go and create like a studio and Coraline. Um, but one thing I didn't realize about A Nightmare Before Christmas is that it is the first feature length stop motion movie. Uh, uh, I didn't know that either. Actually. Henry Selnick as well. Sorry, Henry I never knew that. Yeah, I, and I, I, it makes sense because as soon as they said it, I started thinking back. I'm like, yeah, they use stop motion in a lot of movies, but never a full feature. Um, Holy fledged, no. That's and, an interesting fact, which I never knew. That's right. right. So that's from the show. So check out the show. There's full of other facts like that that I won't give away. Um, and then lastly, I was listening to some music. Uh, an artist that I've become a huge, huge fan of, Grandson, his debut album. Now, it's weird saying that because he has a bunch of EPs. He's probably got like 40 singles or so, maybe 20 singles that exist before this album and three of them are on this album but it's his first feature uh or first lp um official album drop death of an optimist is the name of it how appropriate um he is a hybrid genre which seems to be the kind of trend in this uh, this era is like you're not strapped to a specific genre uh, i would say there's rap influence there's definitely some rock influence um a little bit of folk music and a little electronica even uh built into his stuff that i really just vibe with and he's very political in his lyrics um but he's also got there's a fun vibe to him i'm a big fan of his whole uh basically all of his work and the new album's great so if you if you have access to a streaming service um like spotify or youtube music or uh apple music check out uh grandson's album death of an optimist i've just googled him now and uh, one of the questions what genre is grandson (laughs) alternative rock Alternative hip hop, trap, rap, rock, electronic dance music is like a bit of everything there by the sounds of it. So uh, I'll check that one out tonight, my friend. I'm very proud that I basically touched on all of the genres. So. <laughs> well done. I think I think other than trap, yeah, but you did pretty well there, man. That's a term I still don't fully comprehend anyway. So I'm just like, yeah, trap music. I guess I, I've heard it. I don't know what it is. Uh, I would not be able to define that genre, but um, I've just googled it, so I wouldn't have known either. But that is what we've been consuming since our last episode. And that leads us to this important spot. This is, uh, I think this is kind of a superhero no-no. You're not supposed to reveal how you get your powers. But every week, Matt and I have to work to stay bloody awesome enough to do this podcast. Or we would just have to stop. And so we like to share with you what we're doing in our lives to stay this bloody awesome. Matt, tell me, sir. What did you start doing this week, or what did you do? What happened to you to stay bloody awesome? Well, it's time we cross the streams, and this time it would be very good if we do that. Uh, this week, mine is food-related again. I, <laughs> I do. It's pace with lockdown. Come on. Um, I, I, I used HelloFresh for the first time this week. I do believe it is over there in the States as well. It is. Um, I, I didn't pay for it. My, my friend, who I do Death by Pod with, gifted me a box of it like five days worth of food not because i'm poor or on them to get out is like i think if you have like a a fully fledged subscription each year i think you get like four uh boxes which you can give to people at f- fully priced which is i think it's what 50 forty one ninety nine uh 50 bucks i imagine that would be um so i got one and i was very pleased like, oh thank you um 
So I've got my first one today. So I'm going to spend the next day, next five days, preparing and cooking these healthy meals, which look incredible. I'm not affiliated with HelloFresh. Other food delivery services are available. But um, so I'm going to stay bloody awesome by actually taking more time to prepare some food um, and eating a little bit healthier because I really, really need to in the lead up to Christmas. And um, just acknowledging that um, doing podcasts with people can be quite good. You can get HelloFresh boxes out of it. Or you can get uh, wonderful memories and wonderful knowledge like I get from JB every week. So for me, but food delivery with a twist. And uh, for me, it's the Christmas mindset, um, trying to get into the Christmas spirit. Uh, something about lockdown and the way like usually every Thanksgiving, my family, my wife and my daughter and I go to this thing called Ice at uh, the Gaylord Palms Hotel. It's this uh, Christmas themed, always a Christmas movie themed um, ice sculpture display where it's like zero degrees obviously because of covid that didn't happen this year um so we didn't get to do that for the first time in i, I think five or six years that's been our thanksgiving tradition and it kind of sets us up pictures for the last few years right and it sets us up for the christmas season so not getting to do that this year it doesn't feel like it's the middle of december already for me mm-hmm. and um so that was the binging of the christmas movies and my wife and i went to starbucks the other night got um peppermint mocha frappuccinos well she got a frappuccino i got a hot coffee and then we went and looked at some christmas lights uh to try to get into the christmas mindset you know we've got our lights up outside and we're just trying to get to that place because it's such a i am a i'm a sap and i buy into the christmas season and the christmas spirit and spirit of giving and christmas movies work for me as a result of that even the cheesier ones not quite the hallmark ones but um that's been kind of my goal is to kind of get to that that mental place um i've done a few a few christmas present shopping like things again mostly online um or masked up if i have to go into a store but uh we did go to a store the other day man and i was reminded why i don't like going into stores in december normally but especially during a pandemic because crowds are bad enough for me anyways and then crowds who are not wearing their mask properly or not wearing one at all, even though the stores all have signs that say mask required. I don't think anyone in the stores are comfortable trying to enforce that, especially with all the horrible viral videos that have happened of people who have tried to enforce it. Um, and so you're just like in a, a state of misery. So I plan on not going into any stores till after the holidays. Uh, if I can avoid them, if I can do like pickup or online orders, that's what I'm doing. Um, so Christmas mindset, avoid crowds uh, and avoid, um, you know, retail outlets because they're too crazily busy and that sounds like christmas to me because that's what i do every year so <laughs> i feel sorry for the people who work i've worked retail at christmas before and it's mm-hmm. as i know you have as well it's uh it's tough and you, you, a lot of the time people are underpaid as well and and this year is going to be even tougher because like you say there are people out there who if you don't want to wear a mask it's your choice but um you know there are people who do want to and don't really fancy uh getting any kind of illness uh but yeah, I, I've got my decorations up. We've got ours up here. We did that this weekend, actually. So next to me, I've got the tree. And the whole time I've been recording in my uh, the peripheral of my left eye is just twinkling white uh, fairy lights. Uh, but yeah, I dig it. And the last uh, end of last week, went out to get a few Christmas bits from a retail park and went to the coffee shop uh, and got some festive-themed coffees, uh, hot chocolates and that. So, you know, little things to try and make this absolutely shocking year have slightly better 
ending. But I'm glad you're on the festive train as well, man, because uh, mm-hmm. I dig a bit of Christmas. I mean, to be fair, though, we've had our Christmas tree up since uh, November 1st because my wife loved Christmas. And um, I'm lucky you it's not up. This. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, if it were, she's, she's, it's not like I control her, but she's conceded to waiting until November 1st. Um, and that was more at my daughter's protest because my daughter loves Halloween. So she's like, come on, you got to at least let me have October before we put Christmas out. Um, but yeah, so that, you know, we've had that up. But nonetheless, um, I did just set up a new Amazon Echo uh, routine where if I say uh, Christmas time, the tree turns on and uh, Spotify playlist of random Christmas music pops up on the on the device. So, uh, wow. If you if you ask, uh, I'm not going to say the word, but if you ask that how um how many days until christmas it tells you and then santa claus himself comes on so if you've got kids in the house he'll come on and be like oh have you been good this year and they have to answer be like yes or no probably and he'll answer back and it's pretty cool so that's been a source of fun over the last few days and uh yeah that's i i still believe in santa so you know i might have to just have him talk to me instead uh because my kid's getting too old do it do it but that's our episode uh, that's how we're saying bloody awesome and we're ready to move on to next week because there's some good movies coming out this month that i'm kind of excited about and the next episode of vamp we're going to be talking about the sound of metal which is on amazon prime now um it had a pretty big uh not a big release but it had a big festival turnout um it's directed by darius martyr um and it stars riz ahmed olivia cook who i forgot she was in that until just now and that's awesome because she's usually pretty solid um and those are the two big names on the list. But uh, the premise is a drummer begins to lose his hearing and has to come to grips with a future that will be filled with silence. And that sounds all up my alley. Very excited to give that movie a watch. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I believe Riz Ahmed was the villain in Venom. So listener, if you're more familiar with commercial projects, there you go. Uh, he's a good actor, d- despite that movie. But um, He was in Rogue One as well, let's not forget. Yes. I knew there was another big movie he was a part of. Um, Howard Johnson's in that film as well. In not Rogue One, in The Sound of Metal. I'm, I'm in. Uh, so th- that's on Amazon Prime. If you have streaming service, it's available to watch right there. Um, so, And I'm sure you can probably rent it digitally if it's on Prime at this point. So um, that's the show. If you want to, we'd love to for you to follow us on social media. Matt, where can they find us on Twitter? Uh, they can find us at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. And we're on the IG, the Gram, the Insta, uh, at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. See, I'm hipping and into it. And if you're not hipping into it, then you're still on Facebook. You can just search up Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Um, and, of course, you can follow us individually. I am at Burke Reviews on all of those same things, including BurkeReviews.com. And, Matt, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk uh, and what I watch tonight across all the socials and letterboxd too. And if you like what we're doing, we ask that you take just a minute of your time to rate and review the podcast because it helps other people find us so that they can also listen and enjoy our dulcet tones. With that, we encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody awesome. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bloody.